you would go ahead and offer a, a prayer for us uh, today and offer a prayer for our classes, if that'd be our, acceptable to you. Yes. Okay, thank you. Our Father, um, thank you for this day. Just have a good um, class. And, um, we might learn those words which uh, Michael has prepared for us. Um, there's much preparation with you, Lord. And um, just have a day day and this day might go well. And thank you for everything you've given us. In Jesus' name, I say, amen. Thank you. So, the uh, first day we talked about uh, the importance of the marvelous work that Section 4 talks about. We talked about the need to restore those things that had been lost. We talked about the restoring of the priesthood and authority, the ordinances, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the, uh, the Grove experience and why it was necessary for the church to come out of the wilderness and to uh, be brought forth. And then yesterday, uh, we then moved into uh, a couple of the key characteristics uh, and attributes that uh, we have to have in order to be part of this great and marvelous work to embark in the service of God. And as you know, it's not easy, right? Yesterday, we mentioned the fact that uh, we were given uh, two terms uh, in section four that we were to add to our faith. And the two we mentioned yesterday was temperance which is not being excessive, calm, restrained, using moderation, self-control, and tied very closely but distinctly different is patience. And we looked at patience as a, as a term and particularly referencing the fact of yielding. When you're patient, you yield to this Holy Spirit. And how important those two things were, that God's ways of righteousness is not necessarily about struggling as much as it is about yielding to the Spirit, in our lives and when we're embarking the service of God we are embarking by providing all that we have and are under the movement of that Holy Spirit yielding to it in our talents and our gifts uh, I think the Book of Mormon talks a lot about that right to be learned is good if if you hearken into the counsels of God to his spirit um, we talked about it doesn't mean not to have willpower but that we use our willpower differently Right? That we, we try not to do it all ourselves. That we recognize that once we do all that we can do and been asked to do, at some point we're always going to have to turn it over and yield to God for further direction and for his, his blessing. And so we, we mentioned several examples yesterday of yielding and the importance of that. The good and the bad. When, they, when people yielded and the blessings, but we also looked at a couple examples when uh, they took things into their own hands and uh, the disaster that came out of that. And I'm sure... We can probably all relate to that in our personal lives. And I told you yesterday, I hesitated talking about patience, right? I said, I, I'm sure I'll have to, have to endure something in the next day or two. And sure enough, <laughs> last night it, it happened. I knew it would. Uh, last night, we didn't have electric power for about four hours. And uh, it, it, it tests your, your patience. And you're yielding to the Lord, right? And you go to him in prayer. Um, and so uh, I never fails and uh but what's interesting about that is, is is there's a calm assurance there that the lord is in control so um patience yielding yes yes i did complain to the mayor about that <laughs> and it is fixed this morning <laughs> so uh with that i want to move on to today uh to uh the theme that's been provided for us the characteristics and attributes today of uh, particularly when I talked a lot about love last year in this very setting, so I'm not going to hit on that one as much today, but I do want to talk a lot about humility. And uh, humility <clears throat> versus pride. And how this is so important if we're going to embark in the service of God that we have humility as, as a part of that. There are physical laws, right, that we have to abide by. Uh, one that we all have to abide by is gravity, right? Uh, if we don't ab abide by the law of gravity, right, we don't, you know, we, we, we don't break the law. The law will break us, right? If you decide you're going to uh, walk off the edge of a building, uh, you're not going to break the law of gravity. The law of gravity is going to break you, 
okay? And there are certain standards that God has set in the physical world that are the laws that uh, are governing. And there are also governing laws in the spiritual world that are just like that, that you don't really ever break. They'll break you if you don't abide by them. And the one that I really want to focus on, because to me it's one of the critical spiritual laws, universal laws spiritually, that if you ignore it, it will, it will break you. Uh, that is um, particularly this related to humility. And I'm going to give you where this, this spiritual law is found. It's actually found in, in multiple places by Jesus. He references this in multiple places. That's how important it is. But the one I want to take you to to kind of draw your attention to it is in the book of Matthew. So if you'll turn there with me real quick to chapter 23. Universal spiritual law that affects every one of us. It applies to every person all the time in any situation. There's no exceptions to this law. Just like you have gravity, it applies to everyone all the time, everywhere, right? In terms of what we understand as gravity, but this is a spiritual, universal spiritual law. Matthew 23, verse nine, it's real simple. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased of him, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted of him. It's real simple. If you try to exalt yourself, you will be abased. You will be brought down. And if you bring yourself down in humility and humbleness of heart, in time you will be exalted. So if I could word it in just a, a modern-day verbiage, the way for us to move up is actually to go down and condescend, right? And the way down is when we try to climb up, climb up and be exalted of ourselves. And that's a fundamental principle that's found everywhere in the scriptures. It's, uh, we'll look at examples of this in a little bit here. But there's no escaping this. It was a spiritual universal law in the beginning, even before the earth was formed, in the heavens above. We'll look at that. It's on the earth, it has always been in practice, and it's a fundamental principle that if we're gonna embark in the service of God and be exalted of him, that we must cause ourselves to be humble, okay? Um, it is our responsibility, by the way, to humble ourselves. How many times do you see in the scriptures, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, or humble yourself before me, right? He always puts the prerequisite of humility and of humbling ourselves on us and that's important it is us that has to do that jesus places that on the individual concerned um, just to bring out this point uh, let's look at uh, the book of james chapter 4 verse 10 <clears throat> humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he shall lift you up. Now, if you humble yourself before him in his sight, he will lift you up. You won't lift yourself up. He will lift you up. The blessings that will come out of that will be those things that he has for his glory. Have you ever noticed that everything the Lord does, it's not about anything for you? And I shouldn't say it that way because he does care for us and loves us and wants the best for us. But it's not just about you, okay? What it is, it's about his glory and his work that benefits all, including you, right? It's inclusive of you, but it's not exclusively you, okay? And that's a big difference, right? Um, here, if you humble yourself in his sight, it says he will lift you up. He says in another place, right? God gives his grace to the humble, and he resists the proud. So it's against the very nature of God, right? Everything that God has done, and I'm going to show you this in some examples, is humility. He always answers even the pride of the world with humility. And I'll show you that in a, in a, in a moment. Uh, it was James chapter 4, verse 10. 410, thank you. Yep. So humility does not really operate in the realm of religious emotions. How many times have you heard somebody say, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm trying to feel humble? You don't feel humble. 
It's not an emotion of religion. It is an act of the will. Okay? Have you ever sat there and said, okay, I'm going to try to feel humble here. You can't, right? It's not an emotional thing. It's an act of the will of man. That's why it says you must humble yourself before the Lord. It's a decision that you make to humble yourself before him. We can humble ourselves by decisions of our will, but the, and, and this can't be done by anyone else, by the way. There's no one else that can, can take that and do that work for you. No one else can, hum, can make you humble, right? You either are by a decision of the will or you're not based on, on how you're responding to the Lord. Um, we think of humility, right? If I throw the word out being, oh, that was a very humble person, what comes to your mind? What kind of uh, person do you think comes to your mind when I say that person was a very humble person? Any thoughts? Barb? Okay, you think of Christ, obviously, okay, and that's a good example. Brett? Meek and quiet. Okay, lowly disposition. Okay, very good. Yeah, quick to hear and slow to speak. Very good, yes. Okay, willing to admit when they're wrong. Absolutely. Okay. They're not so high up that they can't say, I, you know, I made a mistake. Yeah, even consider that you're wrong, right? Okay. What's that old adage? I had a student in class one time and uh, made the comment. Uh, he was kind of joking, but he was, he was kind of prideful. But he was jokingly serious. And he says, well, I thought I made a mistake once, and then I realized I was wrong. And he was having fun with that. But the point being is, right, even to consider that we might be wrong, right, that is something that takes a person of at least some degree of humility, okay? All these are examples. And we think of humility, we don't necessarily think of this as a, a, a strength, but I want you to think of it as being strong when you're humble. The way, remember, up is down. And if you go down, he will raise you up. It's, it's just the opposite of what we think. I'm going to give you an example of scripture where it actually uses and puts the word stronger and humility together because we don't normally associate those words. But humility is strength because it is a total dependence upon God. Okay? Barb? We'll get you the mic here. I was just thinking about the brother of Jared when God came, put his finger on the rock. And mm -hmm. made them light. And the response of the brother of Jared was total humility. How is it that God could have human attributes like a finger? And it just overwhelmed him to be humble in the fact that God would make us like him in that way. Yeah, he made us in his image. And so this is the beautiful thing about mankind, that man is both the connection of, of things from above and things from beneath, meaning the spirit from above that was breathed into us, the breath of life, coupled with we were fashioned out of the clay of the earth. And that's the uniqueness about man and about creation, uh, of man in creation, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Let's look at Helaman chapter 2 in the Book of Mormon. Verse 31, Helaman 2, verse 31. Talking about the people here and what they did and the importance of them relying upon the Lord and recognizing their dependence upon him. And how did they do that? In verse 31 of chapter 2 of Helaman, it says, Nevertheless, they, the people, did fast and pray oft. They did wax stronger and stronger in their humility now there is the phrase that just doesn't seem to go together by our natural thinking but they were wax stronger and stronger in their humility they become a stronger people in their humility and they were firmer and firmer in the faith of christ and to the filling of their souls with joy and consolation yea even to the purifying and the sanctification of their hearts which sanctification cometh because yielding their hearts to God, which goes along with what we talked about yesterday. Yielding. Because they yielded their hearts to God, they grew stronger and stronger in humility and greater and greater in the faith of Christ. Humility is an important aspect of any saint. 
okay, to be teachable, right? Why, how, how often does the Lord say that you become like a little child, humble, meek, submissive, right? Teachable. Now, anyone who has kids in this room know that kids are not perfect. In fact, sometimes it can be difficult. But there is one characteristic that children have, especially when they're fairly young, right? It's definitely before the age of accountability, is that they are teachable. They are teachable. We're to be teachable. And you can't be teachable if you already think you know all the answers, right? If you don't even consider that you're wrong, right? Pride. Greg? an adult gets the choice of whether or not they want to be dependent and that's what it takes to be humble yeah. is to be dependent on God that's exactly right the connection of dependency our need to know we sing that song a lot of times and I think Joseph III uh, was, was uh, the one that wrote that if I remember right I need thee every hour most gracious Lord temptations lose their power when thou art nigh that need of the Lord every single hour of every single day is so important for us to recognize. And remember, it says, nothing does the Lord take more displeasure in his Doctrine and Covenants than to not recognize his hand, essentially our dependence upon him, in all things, right? Brother, Bruce? what was that in Helaman? That was Helaman chapter 2, verse 31. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So here's an example then of the Book of Mormon talking about growing stronger and stronger in humility. It is our responsibility to humble ourselves before the Lord. No one else can do it for us, right? And it's not an emotional thing. It's, it's an act of the will. So 1 Peter chapter 5, 5 and 6, to show you that this is repeated. This principle, universal principle, is repeated over and over and is demonstrated over and over throughout the scriptures. It is a universal spiritual principle. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses uh, 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Here's the universal principle expressed again, right? The way up is to condescend down, right? To be humble is for him to then exalt you in his due time the way he wants. In order for you to be able to receive in the mighty hand of God, you must humble yourselves before him. So we today, let's bring this home to where we're at now. We have a lot of difficulties, things in our lives, things in the church, things in our families, things individually that may, we may struggle with, whatever it might be. The question is, are we, have we humbled ourselves sufficiently where the Lord then can move his mighty hand upon our lives? Because remember, he gave us in the beginning two things, intelligence and the agency to use it. And he's not going to take away your agency. Right? That's what Satan wanted to do. God will not take away your agency. So how is the only way that God can truly be free to move in your life is for you to humble yourself before him that you might listen to him, ask of him, seek him out, search the ways of the Lord, right? And then he can move in your life, but he can't move in your life if you're not humble because you're not, you, you already think you know the answer. And he's not going to override your agency. Agency is that precious gift that's given to every one of us. And that's why he says you must humble yourself before me so that I may exalt you and bless you and do the things in your life and in the lives of your families that I want to do. So that's the key aspect of what I call unshackling God's hands in your life. right? Because he won't override your choice and your agency to choose what you're going to do. There, there's a specific word used in this scripture, where, and I, it's a very descriptive word, 
And I've, I found it interesting, so I wanted to look up the background to it. It's called, and, and when he says here, clothe, uh, cl be clothed with humility. I thought, well, that's interesting term. I mean, we physically clothed ourselves every single day, right? We put on clothing, right? And it says here we're to do this also, right? Clothe ourselves in humility, all right? Which means we should do that daily, just like we clothe ourselves physically. And I looked up the word clothing, and there was a reference to this from this time period here that Peter was from. Um, there was an apron or, or an overhaul that was worn over the tops of slaves in ancient times. And they referenced that a lot of times of clothing themselves in this bond, okay, of who they belong to. And so it's really a reference to a, a clothing apron overhaul that was worn at slaves in ancient times. That or and the word slave is probably a little a little uh, not the direction I really want to go with this, but to be a servant, right? A slave or a servant to others, and so humility is clothing yourself is a reference really to that which they would have understood at that time very carefully of putting on this daily like you would your physical clothes, and being a servant in humility to others. So that's an important connotation in this particular scripture. I think is good for us to see. Now. God's people have not always been humble. <laughs> we can look around at ourselves, all right? Because I, I know where your minds go. As soon as I say God's people weren't humble, say, those Israelites, they were just, you know. And, oh, the Pharisees, they, you know. And, oh, those Latter-day Saints in the 2000s, right? All of us, like sheep have gone astray. All of us, right, have not sufficiently humbled ourselves necessarily before the Lord. And so there are times when God's people haven't done this. Right, which is one of the great attributes of embarking in the service of God. Right? If you're going to serve him with all your heart, all your might, all your mind, all your strength, you have to have humility. And so we have examples of what the Lord has done and how he has done this in trying to bring about humility. Again, it's your choice, it's your will, it's your actions, but God can create conditions to try to cause you to reevaluate, right, in, in your life and in the lives of people. Uh, Brother Joe. said this word a couple of times this morning mm -hmm. and it reminded me of something. You talked about condescension. Yes. And that's a great word. Mm -hmm. And especially as we consider it in light of Christ. Christ. And w the meaning of that word, because I've got it written in my margin here, condescension means that you're graciously willing to do something regarded as beneath your own dignity. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what Christ did he was graciously willing to leave the courts of glory and come down and cloak himself in the flesh and walk if that's the right word mm -hmm. but walk among men and so i saw some yeah. very interesting similarities and maybe you're going there yeah. a little bit later in class but yeah. I, I love that word and and you know we're supposed to be like christ and he's the example perfect example of condescension absolutely to lower yourself to a, an estate that is considered below yourself or where you're at. Christ is, of course, the perfect example of that. Uh, to leave his father and all the glory that was his father's to share with him and to come from that place to, to our estate, right? He took on our nature, our estate, our condition to do that. Uh, and that is where humility and love actually connect, right? He was humble enough to do it because of his love for his father and for all of creation. So the two intersect right there with the, again, with the cross, right? With the cross. Let's look real quick here of an example of where the Lord tried to uh, create circumstances in order to help his people humble themselves. Um, but only we can make the right response, okay? So let's look at uh, Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, going back to ancient Israel, because we've got some excellent examples here. Deuteronomy 8. You recall the children of Israel were brought out of bondage out of Egypt, right? By the mighty hand of God. You and I would think that after seeing such marvelous displays of God's power that the children of Israel at that point would have uh, said, wow, this is the Lord, let's, let's, let's rely on him. Look what he's done for us, right? You had the plagues, 
that spared the house of Israel, but, uh, but the Egyptians suffered with. You had the parting of the Red Sea and the destroying of Pharaoh's armies. You would have thought that would have been sufficient. And if you think that if you were there at that time that you might not have, have uh, done that, it's hard to say because look what all the Lord has done in the latter days. Angelic ministry, healing power, prophecy, and yet we sometimes forget to rely upon him, right? Israel always forgot to rely upon the Lord, as Greg was saying earlier. And so in Deuteronomy 8, 2, 3, God had to deal, and the reason why they weren't humble is what's the antithesis or opposite of humility is pride. And so God was dealing with the pride that was found in Israel, which is kind of ironic considering they had been in bondage for close to 400 years. But he brought them out. And he redeemed them out of Egypt, and he created a special situation because he had to deal with the, try to get them to see the pride for what it is, that they needed to continue to rely upon him. So we know that they were taken into the wilderness. And remember, we mentioned what wilderness was on the first day. Anytime the word wilderness, what's wilderness? They were in the wilderness because they could not see him. So they're taken into the wilderness. And he made them dependent on him in the most clear and obvious ways here. Um, in, um, let's look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. In verse 2 it says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God had led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, right, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You see what the Lord was trying to do there? He put them in the conditions to cause them, right? They still had to make the choice. But he put them in the conditions to cause them to try to uh, have to exert uh, humility, right? To humble themselves before him. Even to the point where, right, he had to give them food to eat and water to drink, right? Remember uh, striking the rock and the waters came forth out of the rock? Uh, that, that because they had no, nowhere else, right? The normal way of getting water was not there. Uh, they had to have manna from heaven, right? And all of this was done to cause Israel to remember, I am the Lord thy God. You must not forget me. You must keep my statutes and commandments, which I have given thee. And if you will, you'll be my people and I will be your God. But they had to be humbled, right? Now, again, he created the conditions for the humbleness. But ultimately, it was Israel's choice, right? Of whether they were going to humble themselves or not. And what, what's ironic about this in that moment, because of the conditions God placed them in, right, a reasonable response would be to have to say, okay, we need the Lord. And they did in that moment, right? Many of them, not all, not all, to acknowledge their dependence on God. But here's the interesting historical fact about ancient Israel, that the majority of the Israelites never really learned the lesson about humility here. It was a temporary thing. Even though God put them in situations to cause them to learn humility and to try to humble themselves, humility still was the decision of the will, and Israel as a whole really never learned this lesson because they keep going back and over and over and over. Not unlike us sometimes, right? Nan. Just wanting your opinion. Sure. When you're talking back when he striked the rock to get them water mm -hmm. and the time where he had to strike it twice mm -hmm. as opposed to the one time it should have took which entailed caused him to not to go to the promised land yeah. do you feel that he was angry also with the people and didn't think they really deserved the water in reference to why he didn't have that faith to strike it once what do you think was going on there well I don't know what's going through Moses' mind, but I do know that what he did, he did uh, in his own strength when he made the comment, must I fetch water for you as he struck the rock? 
and he didn't recognize the Lord in that when he did it. And in doing so, he, he had the power to do it, but he didn't recognize the Lord in doing it, right? He didn't, didn't do it in the name of the Lord of Israel. And as a result of that, the water still flowed, but he had made a grievous sin and not recognize the Lord. And it's a moment of, of, of weakness, if you want, probably because of his frustration with Israel that he did it that way and made that comment. But uh, a lot of what was going on there is recognizing where the power comes from. He had the power given him, but he didn't recognize the hand of the Lord when he, when he struck the rock. And by the way, even the image of striking the rock is really important here. Because striking the rock, right, the rock is very representative of Christ, right? And if you're, if you're you know, if, if the Lord has given you that ability to do that, to strike it in your own strength, right, and to do it in your own, you know, must I fetch water for you, you know, and to strike that is really to strike, it's, as far as the emblematic nature of it, is to strike Christ himself. So, sister here. What was that book that you just... Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Yeah. Uh, Brother Mike, and then we'll go back to Reggie. This, this striking the rock is a very interesting situation. He did this twice, and yeah. the first time he told him to strike the rock, and he struck the rock, and the water flew forth, or drew, uh, came forth. But the second time, he told him to speak, speak to, to the, the rock, rock yeah. and the water would come forth. Yeah. But Moses neglected to speak to the rock and chose to strike it again. Uh, and, and so he disobeyed. He was disobedient. He didn't yield himself to what the Lord had told him to do, and thus he, thus he was denied entrance. To much is given, much is required, and Moses was given great power. I mean, he was the, he was the parallel, the similitude of Christ who was to come, who also would have great power, right? And uh, to not do that, and again, the, the phraseology that he even uses there lets you know that it wasn't done in the right way uh, as a result. Now, they still got the water, but... There's a spiritual principle and power here of reliance upon the Lord and being obedient to his voice. Michael, are you going to be covering uh, young Elma the Younger talking to the Thormites about humility? You go, go ahead. This is a great time to mention that. It was interesting what he said, and it comes from chapter 16. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's see. I had it here. It's here. Da, 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 da. I'm going to go to uh, 147. Now, my beloved brother, as ye have desired to know of me what ye shall do because you are afflicted and cast out. Now I, now, I do not desire that ye should suppose that I mean to judge you only according to that which is true. For I do mean, I don't think I'm in the right spot here. But what he's talking about here in chapter 16 is the importance and the difference between being compelled to be humbled mm -hmm. and the greater blessings that come from those who desire and humble themselves because of that. They Correct. choose, right? yes, they choose to humble themselves. Choose to humble, yes. Yes, it's always better to choose to be humble than to be compelled to be humble. Um, I'm going to give you a, a testimony. Um, this is many years ago, and uh, I was... Remember sitting in a prayer service, and a lady got up. And here's where you got to be careful what you pray for. <clears throat> she got up in that prayer service, and she says, "Lord," and she didn't ask for the gift of humility or help me to be able to humble myself. What she says is, "Lord, I want you to humble me." And when she said it, I cringed. I was like, "Oh, be careful what you ask for." And sure enough, uh, she was humbled. The Lord did grant her request of that prayer because she seriously desired it. But she said, Lord, humble me. And he did. And there was things that happened in her life. Uh, there was things, situations she was put in. With uh, She lost her job. She uh, had health, some health situations. She had problems with her family. They began to, I mean, there's just like one thing after another began to happen in her life. And I thought about the, the prayer that she offered there. It's always better to humble yourself before the Lord than to be compelled to be humble by him putting you in new situations. In this case, she asked for it specifically. And I cringed when she said it. I thought, boy, that's a, you got to be careful what you pray for here. And uh, she, she, she really struggled with that. 
And she was humbled. I mean, the Lord answered her prayer. It just wasn't in the way that I think she probably meant or thought when she prayed. You know, if she would have asked the Lord, you know, may I have the gift of humility or help me to understand ways that I can begin to humble myself. She didn't ask that way. She just said, Lord, humble me. Do whatever it takes and humble me. And he did. And um, it, was a, it was a rough, rough period for her because just like Israel here, total, complete reliance upon the Lord. And that's really what humility is. Humility is, you know, there's people who have pride and they exercise pride in false humility. Have you ever seen that? Some people who try to portray themselves as being humble. It's just a really another form of pride, right? And so humility is, is truly in agreement with the truth. Things as they are, as they were, and as they will be in Christ, right? That's what Christ is. So if you're in agreement with Christ, right, you'll have that which is, because it's total reliance on him. It's nothing about you, right? Again, it's not a feeling, right? People are like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I've, I've heard people do things, and you know in that moment they think they're being humble, but you know that it's not really a humility uh, to rely upon the Lord. Brother Mike and then Brother Joe. Apostle Oakland uh, spoke of this and made it very clear. He said, you can't even speak of your own humility because to speak of your own humility is to boast of your own humility and to boast of your own humility means that you are proud <laughs> of being humble. Yeah. That is a, a great quote by Brother Oakman. I, that is exactly right. Okay, Joe? Oh, it made me think about um, the words of Christ as he was teaching his disciples to fast and he says don't be as them that contort their faces and these are my words not his exactly but right. you know it, so that they appear to people to fast because it's right. a drawing attention it's a pride drawing attention to yourself as opposed to the purpose of the fast which is to draw close to right. Christ don't let people know that yeah. you're fasting that's yeah. something between you and the Lord absolutely and, 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 yeah and maybe your wife yeah or your husband yeah yeah absolutely yeah, that is true. And, and so um, it's all about reliance upon him. And again, coming back, it, it ties very closely with what we talked about yesterday with yielding and then having the humility there, uh, which is, again, if, you're, if the Lord will exalt those who are humble in his own way, in his own time. Okay. Um, let's look at, uh, oh, we've got a sister in the back there. And then uh, while we're getting her, if you want to turn to Luke 14 while we're, you can go ahead and flip to Luke 14 in the very back. Yes. This is not on humility as much as it is you have to be careful what you ask God for. Yeah. Because he will grant it. When Stephen Sue came home one time, Stephen had always figured Boone was his home. And when they prayed, they prayed that their car would make it home. And it did make it home. But their home was truly in Ogden, which if you know Boone, is only 10 minutes or 10 miles the other side of Boone. And they made it home to Boone, but not to Ogden. And God granted that request that we would have our cars, but their car broke down in, uh, in Boone instead of Ogden. And so he did make it all the way home. So you truly have to be careful what you ask God for because he will grant it. Make sure that that's exactly what you want and exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's important to pray with the Spirit because then you, you're praying for the things that the Spirit is leading you to pray for, which is always the best if you can pray in the Spirit. It says the apostles, before they laid hands on uh, people, they would pray first that they might know what to pray for. You know, they prayed for the Spirit to direct them in their prayers as when they laid hands and so forth. So, yes, it's very important that we're led by, by that in our prayers. And if we're humble, right, it's easier for that to happen in our lives. Uh, Bruce? Yes, sir. We want to pray in silence. Satan doesn't know our thoughts. That communication between us and God, if we speak or open our mouth, Satan knows what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, there's a time to pray vocally and there's a time to pray in secret. That's true. Let's, let's look at Luke, the 14th chapter. I want to look at verses 7 through 11. This is a parable. Again, the universal spiritual law here. Of humility is expressed in this parable by Jesus. 
And in verse 7 of chapter 14, it says, And he put forth a parable unto them concerning those who were bidden to a wedding. For he knew how they chose out the chief rooms and exalted themselves one above another. Wherefore he spake unto them, saying, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he who bade thee with him, who is more honorable, come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he who bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, then shalt thou have honor of God in the presence of them who sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he who humbleth himself shall be exalted. There's the universal principle again in the parable. Now we know that the Lord is referencing a parable of this wedding feast, right? We know the wedding feast and what it's representative of. He's calling us to the wedding feast, the supper of the Lamb. And those who come in and who are bidden to come, right? It says, come in in humility and assume the lowest place, in the lowest rooms, in the lowest seats, right? Don't come in and say, oh, I belong in the highest room, right? How many, right? People are, um, uh, I'm going to use the word embarrassed or filled with shame when they sit down in a place that they think that they belong, come to find out that's really not their place. I actually have seen this in a wedding happen before where a guest came in, sat down, they sat up in the table, table's in the front there, um, and they sat down there just assuming because they were family members that they should be there, and they had to come up and say, uh, you need to move. Uh, this is for the bride's party, and you need to. <laughs> that was really embarrassing and filled with shame. And uh, the thing is, assume the lowest position, that those who exalt themselves will be abased, and those who abase themselves will be exalted. It's better for the Lord of the wedding to come to you and say, come up higher with me, friend, right, than it is to him to tell you, you need to go and sit where you belong, right? Uh, it's just a fundamental principle here of how we approach the church, how we approach the work, how we approach our ministry, how we approach everything about when we, we meet and help others. Right is here? that why everybody sits in the back of the church when they come up? <laughs> you know, you'd like to think that, but that's unfortunately not the case. <laughs> I always uh, said, you know what we should do is when people come into a uh, and, and by the way, this is not unique to Latter-day Saints. Uh, a lot of Christian faiths have, they always want to sit in the back. And it's not because they think of themselves low. It's actually just the opposite. They like to watch everybody else, right? I said, what they ought to do is have everybody come in just like this when people sit to the back and then pick up the pulpit, move it to the back and tell everybody to turn their chairs around, right? And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, the thing about this is this parable, Jesus is trying to get a point across about humility. And, and if you're going to be part of the wedding supper, the bid to the wedding, assume the lowest places because he will, he will exalt you and lift you up, but don't assume on your own. And we're going to get some examples of this. Greg? Okay. Okay, we're heading in the wrong right direction. Okay, very good. All right. Um, let's look at the book of Ezekiel. This is the first time that we have recorded anywhere that the spiritual law of exaltation and humility was broken. Now, we always think of the prophets as prophesying something to come. Sometimes the prophets, like Ezekiel and Isaiah, also prophesy about things that already happened before recorded history. And this is the case that we have in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is given insight into what happened in heaven. And the first time this law, which cannot be broken, right? If you try to break this law, it, there's no exceptions to it. It will break you. First time this was attempted. Let's look at Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Old Testament. And this is a prophecy and insight revealment, right? That's what prophecy is, revealment. Not of things to come, but things that already happened. Let's turn to Ezekiel, 28th chapter. And particularly, we'll focus in on verses 11 through 18. 11 through 18. 
<clears throat> now, keep in mind, this, this king of Tyrus, right, is one of great glory and power here, representative of Lucifer here. Verse 11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is to Ezekiel, Son of man, take up lamentations upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now that's important. This is a created being. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, and by thy iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to the ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Who is this? This is Lucifer, the son of the morning star, right? We actually get the word uh, luciferous, right? Anything luminescent comes from that same word meaning light. Lucifer was a covering cherub of great power and authority in the sight and in the, in the realms of, of God. He was given this in the day that he was created. Now, this is important to understand. Lucifer was a created being just like you and I, okay? There's only one begotten of the Father. That is Christ. He's the only begotten, which means he was not created but always was with. Lucifer was created. Now, he was created in great beauty. Perhaps there's no one that was any more beautiful, filled with light, and had greater wisdom than Lucifer in this moment. But because of his brightness, right, it caused him to lose his wisdom and stumble. What happened to cause Lucifer to fall and that the Lord would send him down his ashes upon the earth and that he could no longer dwell in the mountain of God? What did Lucifer do? He broke the universal spiritual cardinal rule, right? He exalted himself to be equal with God. He said, look at my brightness. Right? Look at my glory. Look at the things, even though he was created by his creator, which was God the Father. And yet he tried to usurp himself as greater as the created being than the creator who created him. Now this is a big danger. This is the first time this ever happened that we have record of anyway, anywhere, in the heavens before man was even found upon the earth. First time this law was breached and it Right? You don't break the law and think you get away with it. The law breaks you. What happened to Satan? He lost. Right? Lucifer became Satan. He lost all this that he was given. Now, a couple of things I wrote down I want to bring out here. The first committed sin in the universe was pride. It was not drunkenness. It was not immorality. It was not even murder. The first sin ever recorded here in the universe was pride. Pride leads always to rebellion. Right? He rebelled against God. I don't need God. I'm great in and of myself. 
Okay, now we probably don't go to that extreme every day and think in those terms exactly, thinking, okay, I'm greater than God. But we do have a tendency to think, I can do this on my own. I've got enough strength to handle this. Or I'll go to God if I need it. Right? We do the same thing, maybe not to the extremes that Lucifer did it, but we do the same, we break the same principle. Okay? The first sin took place in heaven and not on earth. Committed by an angel of high authority, right? The word traffic in here is interesting to me, so I looked up the word traffic. And the word traffic in, in Hebrew means to go to and fro, oftentimes in a manner of slander and tailbearing. So basically what Satan was doing in his trafficking was he was going to and fro, slandering, and basically trying to gather followers to him. He was slandering God. He was tailbearing. Right? He was trying to say, I can picture this conversation. I don't know. The scriptures don't give us the conversation, but you can imagine what something probably like, look how great I am. And God wants you to be dependent on him. But you are powerful beings yourselves. Just like me. If, if I'm going to set myself up in a way that if you will follow me, I'm going to let you have the freedom to do what you need to do in your own right, and you don't need to listen to God anymore. And I'm sure that's along those lines is this trafficking. He went to and fro, slandering God. Not unlike what he's going to do in the Garden of Eden. Same thing, okay? So here you have pride that caused sin arise from the wisdom and beauty which had been imparted by the creator to the created, even a covering cherub. Now, this is an amazing thing when you think about it, to be in the presence of God. And this is the danger. I don't care how high spiritually you've climbed. If you do not remain humble and focused on the Lord and submit and are obedient to him and rely upon him, pride is waiting at the door. Best example that Brother Oakman talked about with Enoch. Enoch, remember, had preached righteousness to the people. He preached them to repent and have faith on the Lord. So great was the preaching of Enoch by the words that God had put in his mouth. He says that the, the mountains fled and the rivers changed their course. And uh, all people, all nations feared the words that Enoch shared. So powerful was the words God had given him. So he had given them this great power. And then... Right When he brought Zion into his own bosom and brought it into his presence, we have recorded there, Enoch says what? Why art thou crying? Have I not brought Zion to thee? Have I not done these things? Why are you crying? And the Lord, right, immediately challenged that because even with that, there's a little bit of pride that was already entering in with Enoch. And he chastised Enoch in a very loving way, but he, ch he changes his thinking. Says, look at the workmanship of all my hands. Look at all of the people out here that I have created. They're all mine. They all have part of my spirit in them. Right? And they are not with me. Right? I'm paraphrasing here. And he says, would I not weep for all of my creation? And Enoch looked and beheld, and he recognized that he, right there in that moment, a little bit of pride. I brought Zion to you. Isn't that enough? And then it says Enoch also wept when he saw what the Lord showed him. So no matter how high you climb spiritually, no matter where you think you are in your life with the Lord, you're always in danger of falling. In fact, I would argue the higher you climb spiritually, the more in danger you are of falling because of the brilliance of the light that God has granted to you, just like with Lucifer. He was brilliant. He was glorious. His description here is unbelievable. He had great wisdom. It says his wisdom was corrupted, though, by his brightness. He corrupted his own wisdom, right? Because he began to put himself ahead of the creator. Uh, Brother Steve. We've had... Uh in the past, we've had Wally Cochran out to, out to Buckner to preach, and he had a phrase that really stuck with me. And he said, uh, you, it was like climbing a ladder, and 
you, you get to the very top, and it's pride that knocks you off. Yeah. Pride's waiting at the very, very top to knock you down, all the way down. And it just about did with Enoch, right? The Lord had to correct Enoch there. Here's an example of an angel of high authority in the beginning, in the mountain of God, right? So any of us are in danger of this if we're not careful. Brother Mike? Your definition of trafficking took me right straight to the book of Job, where, where the Lord asked, asked yeah. Satan, whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Yep. And that's what trafficking is, right? To and fro and, and usually in relation to slander or uh, tailbearing, right? Exactly. Uh, just so you have a cross-reference here and a, another beautiful description tied to this, the prophet Isaiah also gives us a description of this same event. This is how important it is that we're aware of what happened. So let's look real quick here as referencing with Ezekiel to Isaiah. Isaiah, the 14th chapter, uh, verses 12 through 15. I want you specifically to notice the motivation here of Satan, or Lucifer before he became Satan. In chapter 14 of Isaiah, beginning with verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. How many times is I will used in there? Five different times. I will, I will, I will, I will. And what's interesting is humility is not about emotion. It's about the will. It is about your will. If you will to exalt yourself, you will be cast down. If you will yourself to be humble, then the Lord will exalt you. Now, Christ and Satan are this principle in opposition to each other, right? The good and the bad. Lucifer thought to exalt himself to be equal with God, grasped for it, tried to take that which was not his to take, and fell. Christ, who was and entitled to be equal with his father because he, he was begotten of him, was with the father, had the right to, to claim it, and he did not do that. He actually humbled himself to our estate, came down and took our place, and said, Father, all glory be thine. See the differences there? And now we know that what happened because Christ did that. It says, because Christ humbled himself, took upon us our nature, right? took upon us our sin, that now God has set him on his right hand, has exalted him on his right hand, and there is no name above the name of Christ, that every knee shall bow to it, every tongue will confess that he is Christ the Lord. That's what happens when you humble yourself. He will lift you up. Those who sit on the right hand with Christ must also exemplify that same attribute. You must be humble. Because you won't sit on the right hand of the Father with Christ because it's an exalted place that can only be done through humility and, and, and condescending, as it were, to... Uh, it goes with what I talked about yesterday, right? Taking on the infirmities of our fellow man, yielding to that and, and taking on the weaknesses of others, right? That we condescend for that, not thinking ourselves better, but rather that we might also give ministry and aid that they might be lifted up. Christ descended, it says, below all things, that all things might be lifted up through him to be in the places of the heavenly realms. Brother Greg? In the act that he performed in John 13, when he washed the disciples' feet, he yes. did not deserve yeah. to perform the lowliest task in the household Yet the person who deserved to have his feet washed by everybody there turned around and washed their feet and put it right into place. Even when Peter said, do this, this, and this as well, I said, no, 
this is where it is. And that's why it, again, takes being centered on Christ to know where being humble actually is. Yep, that's exactly right. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that there about how leadership, uh, picking leadership in his church, he always chose humble men. And, and we'll, we'll kind of look at that in a little bit. I think we're getting close to where we need to probably break here. So let's, let's use this moment here. Wilson's giving me the look. We'll break here, take about five to seven minutes. He's giving me the look. Five to seven minutes, and then we'll come back and convene, and then we'll get into a couple of those things that were, were mentioned here. <laughs> 